0: My name is Terry, I'm one of the pastors here today. I'm excited because we start a brand new message series entitled The End of Religion. And as we do, isn't it true that for those of us that are followers of Jesus in this room, when we, when we read through um, his story and we read through uh, all of the moments in which he taught, um, he really engaged in conflict with the religious leaders of the day. And really, it was a, a conflict of religion versus relationship. Um, isn't it true that for many of us, we, we grew up and, and we have, when we think of the word religion, we think of many different aspects. Some of us, we look at religion and, and we, we have a fondness for it because it, it's, it's what we know and it's what we've done. Some of us in this room, we left church long ago because of religiousness. And so when we see the word religion, it's in a negative term. Well, the truth is today, what I love in this series, is we're going to really look at, at the, the difference between religion and relationship. We're going to look at, at some of the battles that Jesus Christ fought for the benefit of mankind. In order to kick this off, um, to illustrate it a little bit, about five years ago, I decided that uh, I was going to take my beautiful bride, Jennifer, on a date, and we were going to go to a restaurant. I had made reservations, and uh, I I have a confession to make. I'm a neurotic time person. Um, I admit that here in front of everybody. Uh, I'm the person who gets to the airport way in advance of time driving my whole family crazy and nuts in the process. And, and so with this, we made, I made reservations at 6 o'clock, and the, the purpose of this date was to reconnect, to just have time alone, to be able to rekindle the fire and, and have a beautiful evening, romantic evening. That was the perfect, the purpose of the event. However, during that day, I had made the reservation and I told my wife, I said, all right, we six o'clock dinner reservations, which means we need to be rolling out of the driveway at 540 p.m. 540, no later, we got to get the car out of the driveway. Got it, no problem. So the way that I work in in my neurotic, so to speak, is as the day goes on, I feel it's a need to be able to remind everybody of the parameters. And so, like about 11 o'clock in the morning, I look for an opportunity to be able to say, yep, so I'm probably going to start getting ready at about, you know, I'd say about, you know, 4.30, just start thinking about it. Because remember, we have to be rolling out of the driveway at 5.40. And so then a little later on, it's like, oh, it's, it's already 2 o'clock in about an hour and a half. I'm going to start thinking about getting ready because we have to leave at about 5.40. I think I'm doing everybody a favor here, helping everybody to be on time because, you know, timeliness is next to godliness. Isn't that true? It's somewhere in the book of Hesitations, I think. But anyway... So we get to a place where it's about 4.30 p.m. and I go in and I make a proclamation in the house. I turn the shower on. I'm turning the shower on, you know, just letting everybody know. And so then I start getting ready and in the hopes that this is gonna spur. Isn't it true that we, we see somewhere it's like we need to spur each other to good works and activity? I was trying to spur other people to get ready in the house, so I was doing good. So then I'm noticing I'm way ahead of the game. I get done, and I'm downstairs, and it's probably about 5.20. I got about 20 minutes to spare. Jennifer's upstairs. She's getting ready and and getting there, and I'm like, okay. And I'm like, hey, I'm ready. I'm all done. Just letting you know I'm down here. Okay, no problem. I'm like, all right. So now it gets to about 5.30, and we got about 10 more minutes, and a bead of sweat starts forming right about here. And I just decide to say, all right, it's got about 10 more minutes until we're time to leave. And Jennifer's like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. Okay, okay, great, great, great. Well, at about 5.35, I'm having a panic attack because we're not ready to walk out the door because doesn't she understand that we have to walk into the garage, we have to open the garage door, we have to get in the car, we have to pull up the directions on the navigation, we have to roll back in the driver, we have to check to make sure traffic's coming behind us before we pull out. And that all takes about five minutes. So really, we should be leaving at 5.35 instead of 5.40. You understand my neuroticity. We can all pray for my wife right now. So I then at about 537 yell upstairs, I'll be in the car. So I go out. I go in the car. I back the car out just to be on time because 540, it's important. So I'm sitting in there and 540 comes and Jennifer is not there. So then, and the purpose of this is, this is true. Then you begin to sit there and now I'm stressed and I'm like, I said we many times that we had to leave at 4, 540. I mean, doesn't she understand that this is the important thing? And then you start going into places you shouldn't go. I think she's doing this on purpose. <laughs> I think she knows that I'm sitting here in the driveway. She's probably done. She's probably downstairs. She's probably just allowing me to sit and to stew in the driveway. That is evil. God, you need to work on her. I'm just saying. And so I'm sitting there and I'm going all through this and then I decide, and it was not a smart move, I decide to give her, and guys, you understand this, that it's really important from time to time to give a courtesy honk. It's not a regular honk, it's a courtesy honk. A regular honk, you lean in on the horn. That's rude, you shouldn't do that. A courtesy honk, yes, a courtesy honk is you give a couple taps, bing, bing. I mean, that's okay, you're allowed to do that. It doesn't go over well. Jennifer comes out She comes walking to the car. She gets in the car. And of course, I slam it into reverse. Back up in the driveway. Hustle over to the restaurant. I'm not talking because I'm so frustrated because this is just ridiculous. And then we get there and we get to the restaurant They give us the menu. We're not talking. And I'll never forget what Jennifer said. She kind of put the menu down and she looked at me and she goes, is five minutes really worth ruining the evening? Is five minutes to you? Which, by the way, Terry, did the person at the front desk chastise you because we were five minutes late? Of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, no, but I'm a pastor. He probably knows I'm a pastor. He probably has lost his faith in Jesus Christ because we were five minutes late. That's what I thought. But then I said to her, I said, I said no. And she says, Terry, I think sometimes you lose sight of the bigger picture. And I think that's a lesson for a lot of us. Isn't it true that in our relationships, especially when it comes to conflict, we lose sight of what's most important in the midst of conflict, whether it's to husband and wife, whether it's to father and son, mother and daughter, whether it's to siblings to one another, isn't it true that we we lose our brains at times and we, we focus on that which is least important and it ruins the heart behind what is most important? And so what I would say today is sometimes we need to ask ourselves, what's the question behind the question? Me sitting in that driveway doing a courtesy honk, if I was honest with myself and asked that question, I would say, Terry, your purpose of this date is to reconnect, to rekindle, to have a wonderful, peaceful evening. Do you think these two little beeps are going to accomplish that? No. I like to say it another way. What's the principle behind the preference? Or... Why do we do or why are we doing what we do in the moment? Well, I think this is part of the reason that Jesus Christ came. You see, because here, here's, here's the truth. God gave the word. He gave the law. He gave religious principles to his people to follow. And God's people took those religious principles, they wrote those down, and they tried to follow them to a T. However, over a, a period of years, the religious leaders became more infatuated with the letter of the law than the heart of God's people. And what we're going to see is is Jesus is going to try to remind us that what matters more than the letter of the law is the heart of God's people. So let me define this. Religion is a particular system of faith and worship. That's what religion is. Did you know that in America, we look at probably like the top five denominations, and we always make fun of one another, whether you're Presbyterian, Catholic, Pentecostal, Baptist, whatever your denomination is, we, we, we think of those denominations. When the truth is, there are thousands of religions in the world today. Many different differences, many different thoughts with regards to God's word, who God is. And Jesus Christ is coming, and today we're going to unpack a story where Jesus is going to fight against religion because the Pharisees were getting infatuated with their religion and they were forgetting about the most important aspect of why the religion exists, and that is the relationship with God and his people. So we're going to unpack this, and we're going to begin in the book of Mark, chapter 2. And let me unpack this. Jesus Christ is on the scene. The Pharisees don't like him because he's interrupting their their popularity contest. And all of a sudden, Jesus is walking. The Pharisees, or excuse me, the disciples are hungry. So as they're walking, Jesus and the disciples, they start picking some kernels of grain off of some of the stalks in the field. And the religious leaders are going to look at this and they're going to see this and they're going to pounce. So let's take a look. Mark chapter 2 beginning in verse 23. Take a look at this. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Hold it right there. Back up one slide. Hold it right there. I want you to see what's going on. This is where it gets interesting. Lean in here for a second. So the Pharisees, they see the disciples. And there are 36 to 39 unlawful acts about the Sabbath that you can read to the letter of the law. And one of those unlawful acts is, is, that on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to pick grain in a field. That would be considered work, and you are not to work on the Sabbath. That is the law. So the Pharisees are standing there, and notice it says that they're watching Jesus and the disciples. So the Pharisees go, aha, the religion, the law, says that you are not doing what God wants. You call yourself the son of God. You say that you know and understand and embody Scripture and yet you allow your followers to break one of the laws of God? This is the law. Jesus, what do you say? And I love Jesus. Watch what Jesus does, ready? Jesus then stands and says, you know what, what's the question behind the question? All right, these Pharisees, they're trying to use God's law to throw it in my face and discredit me. So then, okay, watch what I'm gonna do. So what does Jesus do? Jesus then says, hey, you heard of a guy by the name of David? King David which revered in Jewish culture. King David, did you know that in the book of Deuteronomy, which by the way for all of us in this room is a part of the law, in the book of Deuteronomy it actually says that David, when he was hungry, and his men were with him, they're gonna do something the same. In fact, let's take a look. It says this. In the days of Abathar the high priest, David entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. What? King David, he went in the temple and he ate the consecrated bread. And then he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, guys, the truth is, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. I'm going to say that again. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, Terry, what does he mean? So, Jesus goes ahead and Jesus says, You're gonna call me out on the religion on the law. Then I'm gonna call you out on the religion of law. Now there's a stalemate. And then Jesus pauses and here's what he does. He said, Let's ask the question behind the question. You're making a big deal about the Sabbath. But did you know this? That you think the Sabbath was created for God. And that's why you're so mad and so angry because you believe that my followers are discrediting and dishonoring God and this was made for him and God is mad when you've missed the point because the Sabbath was actually created for you. The Sabbath was not created for God's own sake. Rather, it was created for the sake of mankind. Well, Terry, what do you mean by that? Very simple. I've learned for a long time in my life that God is God. He's the creator of the universe. Did you know that there are billions and billions of stars? There are countless galaxies out in the sky. There are things unknown, and God created all of it. He placed it all of it. He understands how science works. He understands how everything works. God doesn't need my help for anything. And so sometimes, here's what I feel. I feel that we as followers of Jesus, we feel as if we're doing God a favor. God, I went and and I helped my neighbor today. Didn't I do good? God, I did a good solid for you today. God, you know what, I helped, I gave money to this individual over here, so God, I did a really good thing, I raised my standing in front of you, when the truth is, is God doesn't need our help for anything, he's God, and that's what Jesus was saying is, you guys think that you're doing all this good stuff of religion, and you think for whatever reason it's doing something for God, God didn't create the Sabbath for himself, he created it for you, well Terry, what do you mean by that, and here's what God is basically saying, You're missing the point. My followers were hungry. They had a need. What's more important, following the letter of the law or meeting someone in a place of need? If you understand the heart of my God and you understand why he put the law in place, he did it so that we would understand that his people matter. And when you see a need and a hurt within someone, that you should look to that need first before you try to accuse someone of doing something wrong. It's as if Jesus was saying this human need is a higher law than religious ritualism. Does that make sense? And Jesus was reminding everybody it's not the letter of religion. God created the Sabbath, the Sabbath was to provide for you. Next slide. The Sabbath was to provide for you rest and the opportunity to worship. We have the privilege of honoring the Sabbath because it gives us us life. It reminds us of who God is. The Sabbath was designed for us because we need the Sabbath. And that's what Jesus was trying to speak. Well, Terry, what does this have to do with conflict? Well, all of a sudden, we're going to enter into another story. And this was like the warning shot across the bow. And it's like to you and I in our relationships with coworkers and our relationships with spouses and our relationship with friends, it all reminds us, Jesus basically saying, Terry, don't you understand that you have to get to the heart of the matter in every conflict that you face? And if you pause and get to the heart of the matter, you will have greater success. You will honor God if you look to the heart of the matter. And so then, right after this story, it pivots to another story, And if you fell asleep for three minutes, wake up because this is where it gets really good because the writer is going to write about Jesus doubling down of this principle. Take a look at this in Mark 3, 1 and 2. It says, another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. Now I want you to see what happens. If you go to the Middle East, if you go anywhere, if you go to a synagogue, here's what it looks like. Their their place of worship looks nothing like us. Their place of worship, there is tension. Because what ends up happening is, is, you have a religious leader that will stand up or someone to stand up, and they will read God's word. And when they read God's word, then they will sit down. And after they sit down, they will have a debate among one another about the meaning of that word. They will challenge one another. They will ask questions of one another. It, it looks like a full-blown full argument, but it's not. It's just wrestling with the tension of the truth of what's happening. And so in a synagogue at this point, it says that some of them, were watching Jesus closely. Some of them were in the synagogue. Did you notice it didn't say some of them were engaged in the teaching. Some of them were focused on understanding. Some of them were looking to learn and to grow. It didn't say that. It said some of them were there to watch and accuse Jesus of doing something wrong. Well, Terry, why is that important? We usually fly by this part of the story, but I want to hold here for a second because I think some of us in this room, we worship or we participate in our faith like some of them in the synagogue. That when we come into this room, we don't look for the person we're going to come to church for. We don't look for the individual that we're asking God to say, God, who do I need to encourage? Who do I need to support? Who do I need to put my arm around? Who do I need to pray for today? Because we're the body of Christ. And when we gather on the Sabbath together, that's part of my responsibility in the faith. That's part of worship. Some of us in this room don't come in here looking to change our lives. We come in here because we check it off our list. We sing three songs. We get tired when Pastor Terry talks, and then we leave and say, amen, he ended on time. And we forget, you hope I'll end on time today, just... (laughs) But we forget the question behind the question, and we can become like some of them. In a more difficult sense, many of us are in conflict with another individual. And we're in conflict because we don't care about the heart of the matter. We care about what we care about. And that's what Jesus was speaking to. Terry, when you get so fixated on being right, when you get so fixated on the point and you miss the heart behind it, you become religious. You become a zealot. And the reason why I came is to teach you that there's a heart behind the letter of the law and the heart matters more. Well, Terry, what do you mean? I think the reason why many of us struggle is there's different styles of conflict resolution. And many of us in this room, when when conflict arises, especially when in the faith, we have a different style and a different approach. And this is why I believe that as churches, as denominations, as religions, we all get ourselves in trouble from time to time. Really quickly... There are five known styles of conflict resolution that all of us in this room, we have a particular style. We activate many of them, but we lean to one specific style with regards to conflict resolution. Let me unpack them for you and see if you can figure out which style best fits you. You ready? The first style that we have is called avoiding. There are some of us in this room, it doesn't matter what the conflict is, we are not going to go near it. We are going to avoid it like the plague. And so whether it's husband and wife and there's a conflict, it's like, okay, honey, no problem. Okay, yeah, yeah no, 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 it's okay, I don't want to talk about it. No, 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 it's fine, it's, let's, let's go out to eat. No, 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 I want to talk. And meanwhile, you are building up and building up and building up and there's tension and there's tension and the heart is hurt. Because you're avoiding and you're avoiding and you're avoiding. That's not necessarily good. I can tell you this. That's a style that you really need to lean in on because that style, it might help in the moment, but over time it's going to build up and it is, that conflict is coming. There's a second thing. A second style is accommodating. And that's an individual that's very popular because you never stand up to anything. Because what ends up happening is, is that you want to accommodate everybody in conflict. And so you're the person that sits there and when you hear a conflict, oh no, I'm very sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that happened. No, 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 no problem. Whatever you think. Yeah, not a problem at all. You just want to calm the waters and you'll sacrifice every, your opinion, your thought, your desire. You'll sacrifice it because you want to accommodate all parties involved. Sometimes that could be good depending on the situation. But most of the time, again, It's like avoidance. It just sits there. There's a third one. That third style is what we call compromising. And compromising is is that, all right, I want to hear everybody's opinion. We're going to share all of our opinions. We're going to sacrifice our opinions, all of us. All of us are going to give skin in the game. We're all not going to be happy, but we're going to come to a resolution. Sometimes compromise is important, but a lot of times compromise leaves everybody feeling a little less satisfied even though you come to a resolution. There's a last one before we get to the main point, and it's collaborating. Collaborating is a great style. However, collaborating could be dangerous, and I'm gonna give you a case in point. Collaborating is getting everybody around the table, and you as an individual, you're willing to sit there and to get to a consensus. We're all gonna be in here. We're all gonna work it out. If we have to sit here for two weeks, we're all gonna be happy about the solution that we come up with. That's collaboration, which is really difficult to accomplish, but that's a good one, and you heard me say, well, Terry, collaborating sounds really good. Why isn't collaborating good sometimes? It's because in this situation, Jesus Christ is walking into the room. Some of them are looking to accuse him of healing on the Sabbath, and conflict is coming to Jesus, and Jesus all of a sudden is gonna come into conflict And the way that if he collaborated, he would look at the the Pharisees and he would say, okay, you guys have a problem with me healing on the Sabbath. All right, you know what? Just to make everybody happy and come to a solution. Okay, you with the shriveled hand. You're gonna have to go home and then you come back tomorrow on a different day and I'm gonna heal you then. Will that make you happy? It'll still heal him. Okay, collaboration. We'll collaborate together. Jesus wasn't gonna do that because the main point and the heart was being missed. And so here's... What the Pharisees were deploying, though, and some of us in this room, the reason why we have a hard time with regards to religion and sometimes we get into conflict is this. We come with a competing style of conflict resolution, and a competing style of conflict resolution is, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm going to win, you're going to lose. I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say. I'm not going to listen to the heart of what you're trying to explain. I know my truth, and I'm not learning anything else. I am going to stand my ground. I am going to fight to win, because that's right. And the Pharisees were in the synagogue, and they were looking at Jesus, and they were so narrow-focused and so narrow-minded because they were looking at the letter of the law. They sat there and said, you lose, we're going to win. What breaks my heart the most is, I think for many of us in this room, we end up with that style and we don't even know it. I did. 25 years ago, I was a part of a church and loved the church. And one of the pastors got into a disagreement with one of my friends, and my friend, being young in the faith, he just you know, spilled dirty laundry and complained about the pastor and negative, 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 and came to me, and that soured my opinion of the pastor. So the next week, this is my church. I went to church and for the first time in many, many months and many years, I went into the church and I sat in the back and instead of going in with an open mind to be able to learn and be able to grow, I sat in the back of the church and I watched like some of those. And I looked for an opportunity to be able to discredit. I looked for something to nitpick. I looked for something to tear down. And you know what? Here's the truth. I found a lot. And you know what? All of us, that's our problem. We find a lot in everyone. You know why? Because we're human if you sat and watched closely every single day to your spouse or every single day to another brother or sister in Christ, you could find something to nitpick and you could find something to complain about. And you could be right. He did this, well, you're right. He did this, Yep. Yeah. to the letter of the law, you're right. Well, I sat there for about two months And every week, I just catalog. Look, he did this. and Look, he didn't even know this. Or look, he did this. He said this, and that's not right, and blah, blah, blah. And every week, I came out, and I complained, and I complained, and I complained. And finally, a a friend of mine, after after two months, a friend walked out with me, and he said, wasn't that message amazing? And I looked at him, I said, no. He did this, he did this, he did this. And finally, my friend looked at me and said, brother, you just become negative. I'm sorry, but it has not been fun to sit next to you Why are you coming? Why are you here? I mean, you've just totally changed. Look, if you don't like the pastor, then keep it to yourself and go find another church. But you're not doing yourself or anybody else a favor by being negative. You're missing it. You've just become miserable. And I remember walking away and I remember going, oh my gosh, God forgive me. He's right. You know what happened the next week? The next week I went in and I prayed and I said, God forgive me, God Allow me to have a heart that wants to grow and to learn. And you know what? I had one of the best days of worship that I had in a long time. Now, why am I saying that? I think some of us in this room, we don't even realize that we live in the neighborhood of negativity. We approach our relationship with our spouse. We approach our relationship with a brother and sister. We approach our work colleagues. We approach our friends And we live in the neighborhood of negativity. We think it's our responsibility to be negative. And so if you live in the neighborhood of negativity, here's the dangers of living there because I lived on these streets. You ready? Here are some of the streets we live on. We live on Agenda Avenue. I've got an agenda. There is a question behind the question. I'm hurt for my friend who got hurt by another pastor and because he's hurt, I'm hurt. And so I'm gonna look for any way that I can to discredit this guy. I had an agenda. I lived on Agenda Avenue. There's lost perspective place. I became a miserable human being. I lost my perspective. There's stagnant street. I stopped growing in Christ because I just made it my focus to do that. There's dangerous drive. It's dangerous for other people around you when you live in negativity because other individuals think that that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then last but not least, I was blinded, blinded for two months on Blinded Boulevard because I lost my perspective. And so for some of us in this room, have you become like some of those? Have you become like the Pharisees? And so we're gonna pick the story up and we're gonna see how it ends. But here are the Pharisees. They look for a way to be able to discredit Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus. He knows everybody's heart, right? And this is what I love. Because Jesus is sitting there and he knows exactly what they were doing and he knows all of what we just unpacked. And so here's what Jesus says, ready? Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. If you don't love the Bible and you don't think the Bible is tension-filled, did you just see what Jesus did? He didn't just say stand up. He looked at the man and he said, you know what, I'm going to make a point because these guys over here, some of them are looking for a way to discredit me. And so let's make an example out of this. I want you to stand up in front of everyone so everyone can see. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. Don't miss this. Do you realize what Jesus just did? Out of nowhere, he looked at some of those and he said, I got a question to ask you. Which is more important, to do good or to do evil? In fact, When Jesus was saying it, I can picture him. I don't know this. I don't have insight into this, but I can picture Jesus doing this. If some of them, and I apologize to this section of the room, but if you're some of them, okay, you're you're the role of the Pharisees. Everyone boo the Pharisees. No, I'm just teasing. But if you're some of them, all right, I can imagine Jesus having the man stand up in front of everyone and then Jesus say, which is better to do? Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? And he paused just like that. In fact, which is better, to save a life or to kill? And when you look at it that way, it escalated quickly, didn't it? And I wrote a couple of notes down, and I want you to see this because it was as if Jesus was saying, Terry, don't take this lightly, and this is where we finish. If you live in the area of negativity, if you are focused so much on the letter of the law, you forget the heart of what's most important, then there is danger there. There is far greater danger than you and I could ever imagine because in those two examples, here's what Jesus did. He escalated it as if to say the following. He says, there is little difference between manslaughter and the conduct of one who does not concern himself about relieving relieving a person in distress. He basically said, look, there's little difference, little difference in this, between that. So if you're gonna focus on the letter of the law, then there's little difference between you and someone who looks to do evil. That's what Jesus was saying. And it's as if he was saying this. The will of God is better served by restoring a life than plotting to kill a life. I'm gonna wrap things up, but I look at you Husbands, what's more important, being right or the relationship with your spouse? Wives, what's most important, being right or your relationship with your spouse? Parents, what's most important, being right or developing a trust and a bond and a growing relationship with your children? What's most important? There's a thin line between all of them, and if we're not careful, And if we just, we want to be right, we're going to lose what's most important. So Jesus gets done, and this is where it wraps up, and I love this. And here's what happens. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, as if Jesus was saying, just stop being stubborn. Stop being stubborn. It's as if Jesus looked at them and said, look, you're missing it. You're so infatuated with pointing out what I'm doing wrong. How about you look for the things that I'm doing right? And I would say as Christians, I've said this before in our church, it's time for us to start being known. Next slide. It's time for us to start being known by what you do as a Christian rather than being known being known by what you don't do. It's as if it's time for us to be known for what we're for rather than what we're against. That's why I love every month as a church, we call it For Myrtle Beach. And that's why we titled it For Myrtle Beach. Because we know that there are people, friends in our community, that they look at religion and they want to discard religion. They were hurt by religion. They were hurt by the church. And one of the reasons why we say we want to be For Myrtle Beach is so that they see that we care more about the heart of the people than the letter of the law. of us believers in Christ, it's time for us to get back to the heart. So I'm done. But I want you to see the end of the story. And so take a look at what happened with Jesus. It says, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored in front of everybody. And if you're sitting there and you don't know the story, you might ask the question, well, Terry, what was their response? What did some of them say? Well, the way we find that answer is a, a very, very unique and book that we don't know much in the Bible. It's called the book of Terry, chapter 3, verse 6. So let's look at the book of Terry, chapter 3, verse 6. In the book of Terry, it says, "Then the Pharisees repented and became known as a generous people who glorified Jesus Christ. Amen! It's not really a book of the Bible. That's what I wish happened. Instead, here's what really happened. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And that's the heartbreaking mode of this. Today, what we've done is we've unpacked a little bit of the truth that you know what, what matters most is the heart of God's people. What matters most is the heart of my spouse, the heart of my kids, the heart of my grandkids. What matters most is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know, some of them were there and some of them heard and received the lesson like we did and our hope was that some of them would get it and that they would understand what was most important. But did you see what happened? They hunkered down. They hardened their heart, and they said, no, we're going to kill this man. And you know what? The truth is, many of us, we're going to leave this room, and we're going to go back to doing the same thing that we always do. We're going to harden our hearts. It's just too difficult to change. This is the way that I always am, and this is the way that I'm always going to treat. You You don't know what they've done, and this and that. And we're going to continue to make excuses and continue to treat others to the letter of the law. And so my question to you is, what will you do? What will you do today? What did God prompt your heart with? What did he grab hold of? Who do you have to apologize to? Who do you have to ask for forgiveness? Today, what's your response? And my final encouragement is, is if you live in the neighborhood of negativity, then maybe it's time to move. Maybe it's time for you to do what I've done and what I continue to try to do. Is to say, you know what? God, I'm sorry. What will you do? Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this opening message of the series, and Lord, this is hard for all of us, God, because all of us are guilty of harboring hurt. All of us are guilty of being nearsighted. And so God, thank you that you teach us that what matters most is the heart of man. God, forgive us when we put other things ahead of that. Forgive us when we become like some of these. And so today, Lord, for those of us in this room that harbor that kind of feeling, Lord, God, we're sorry. God, forgive us. And Lord, today, we just commit to you. We wanna learn, we wanna grow. So God, I pray for all of us as we leave this place that you would teach us, that you would bring to our heart, quicken our mind and our spirit, God, of what we need to do to be able to get back to the heart. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that honors the heart and in doing so, we would inspire our family, our friends, our community to glorify you because this is the heart of who you are. So God, we love you today and we bless you. It's in your precious name we pray.